you know, very happy to be here. And I'm also delighted that the department was courteous enough to ask me to introduce uh, Elif Babu today and to, um, uh, to be the moderator in this um, meeting. Uh, and of course, the reason why I'm so uh, pleased is because Elif Jim has been one of my students for a long time, not only my student, I consider her a friend. Uh, we've been together for a long time and I've sort of seen her progress and what she's done for a long time. Um, I, Elif, of course, did her MA dissertation in our department and her MA dissertation was um, about the way in which Gökçada Imroz was created as a, a space uh, which was constantly contested and uh, a place it was the first time that I saw anybody use the term OHAL in a dissertation, in an academic paper. It was really, I, mean, I hadn't expected that. Anyway, I wanted to say that, <laughs> um, but uh, after uh, having received her MA from our department, Elif went on to do a PhD at Stanford University, which she completed in 12, uh, 2012. Um, Elif is an anthropologist. She um, concentrates on political and legal uh, anthropology. And uh, since her dissertation, she has been working on, um, her dissertation was on, and she continued for a time working on national and transnational bureaucracies uh, and the politics of human rights in Turkey. Um, her uh, research was founded by the American Council of Learned Societies, the SSRC, Wenner Gren, uh, et cetera. Um, and she has published numerous articles in um, the American Ethnologist, in Polar, in Social Anthropology, and in New Perspectives on Turkey. She has published uh, her uh, a book, which is based on her dissertation, called Bureaucratic Intimacies, Translating Human Rights in Turkey. This was published in 2017, and it was published by Stanford University Press. And this book, won the 2018 William A. Douglas Prize for the best book in Europeanist anthropology, which is quite something, and we con I congratulate her, I'm sure we all do very much for this. Uh, and it also received an honorable mention in the 2019 AAA Middle East section Biennale, uh, Biennale, Biennale Book Award competition. Um, Elif is also active in Merit Reports. She's on the editorial committee uh, and she's the issue, she's on the issue development team and she, they have uh, already done three special issues, one on Turkey, uh, the other on Kurdistan and the third on race in the Middle East, special issues. Uh, with Ayça Alemdaroğlu, she wrote an opinion piece uh, also in Merit Reports. Um, and in, on April 28, 2021, some of you might have seen her, uh, she was part of the uh, panel defending academic autonomy, autonomy in Turkey, which uh, took part at the LSE political uh, economic, um, um, uh, defending um, academic autonomy in Turkey at the LSE uh, uh, Zoom uh, conference. So, um, I uh, I missed that one, uh, so uh, I'm still waiting for it to be available. Anyway, so uh, here is Elif, uh, and please Elif Jim, the floor is yours. 
Thank you very much for this amazing introduction and welcome. And I feel so lucky to be able to come back home. Um, thank you. Thanks to Zoom. That's one of the things that um, is good that happened during the pandemic, I guess. Um, so, um, so today I'm going to talk about um, something that I have been working on for a while. But before I begin um, uh, uh, uh, presenting my paper, I just want to take a moment to express my um, admiration and solidarity with the uh, um, dignified resistance um, that is taking place at Boazici at the moment uh, against the illegitimate top-down appointment of the current rector um, and authoritarian and neoliberal um, encroachment on the universities is not something that is specific to Turkey. Of course, it's happening around the world. The Turkish case has its particular balances. Um, and um, Boazic's stance is tr truly inspiring to everyone, um, I think, around the world um, in academia. So um, the paper that I'm going to be presenting today um, is something that I have been, and I'm going to start sharing my screen because I have a um, PowerPoint presentation that goes with it. So this is um, something that has been long in the making. I've been working on this topic since 2014. Um, and a lot has happened since then. Um, and trying to keep up with everything um, that happened was pretty um, challenging. Um, so this semester I was on sabbatical leave and I finally found the chance to finalize the paper and I'm hoping to um, send it out for publication soon. So I look forward to hearing everyone's um, responses, uh, particularly because of the part of the of the specific stage that the paper is in. Okay, so the paper is um, called um, "Oppressive Generosity, Compulsory Guesthood, and the Politics of Hospitality in Turkey." In the summer of 2014, news of lynch mobs targeting Syrian refugees shook the Turkish public sphere. In Antep, a mid-sized city bordering Syria, rumors spread that the Syrians had poisoned the drinking water which was believed to have caused an influx of people to the emergency room with complaints of vomiting and nausea. In Iskenderun, a district at the southernmost tip of Anatolia, masses stormed Syrian-run businesses following the allegation that a Syrian refugee had sexually assaulted a child. Local governors dispelled the rumors and called for calm. Antep mayor Fatma Shahin released a statement pleading her constituents to have common sense and not to fall into the trap of certain people who are fabricating malevolent and baseless allegations against our Syrian guests. Similarly, Governor Hassan Özyit reprimanded people and groups who incite citizens against Syrians who temporarily reside in Iskenderun for humanitarian reasons. Since the beginning of their arrival in mass in 2011, Syrian refugees have increasingly been portrayed in negative light in the mainstream and social media and they have been victims of pervasive false information, fueling nationalistic, discriminatory, and violent attitudes. To appease the raising animosity, Turkish state officials have resorted to the rhetoric of hospitality, misafir pervarlik. Despite the legal update that granted Syrians an official temporary protection status in 2014, legally ambiguous host-guest metaphors continue to circulate widely in the public sphere. In the same month the law was passed, President Erdogan addressed over 10,000 Syrians residing in the Islahiye tent city in Antep in the following words. We in Turkey are rightfully feeling proud and happy to have you here as our guests. You have been muhajir. 
you have left your homeland out of necessity. We have been ensar to you. We mobilized all our means for you. No matter what anyone says, to us, you're never a burden. To us, you are an honor and a blessing. In the years that followed, Erdogan and various other state officials called upon the Turkish public to act like Ensar Muhajir, referring to the Medinis who hosted Prophet Muhammad when he fled Mecca in the year 622 with his followers to escape persecution. In 2019, the government framed its military incursion into northern Syria in terms of its responsibility as the host of most refugees worldwide to initiate the safe and voluntary return home of the Syrian refugees. This paper explores hospitality as a dis key discursive framework for refugee management in Turkey by focusing on how the rhetoric of host-guest relations are operationalized at the official level to represent, interpret, and problematize the current state of affairs regarding the Syrian refugees, as well as to formulate policies for solving those problems. I follow this rhetoric in the promotional material produced by the Directorate General of Migration Management, Göçi Daresi, and Disaster and Emergency Management Presidency, AFAD, that are central to refugee management, public statements of state officials, as well as interviews that I conducted with government workers. The rhetoric of hospitality that is dominant in migration management allows the Turkish government to navigate this ambiguous terrain in a way that would best serve its interests and by considering various national and international sensitivities. Host-guest metaphors are used to assert power and leverage both domestically and internationally by exerting sovereign control over a post-imperial nation space, performing neo-imperial guardianship over the downtrodden, especially within the Muslim Ummah, and claiming an ethno-religious civilizational morality that exceeds the legalistic logic of human rights and entitlements. In my analysis, I pay special attention to the notion of compulsory guesthood as a category that crosses over the realms of disaster management and refugee management, as well as social uyum, social cohesion initiatives that affirm the place of immigrants and refugees within Turkish society by portraying the country as the historical melting point of many cultures and civilizations as the bed and as the bedrock of tolerance and compassion. Despite widespread references to hospitality as a collective virtue of the Turkish nation, in the society-wide anti-Syrian sentiments, as well as the rhetoric that is employed in the government circles to offset those, one can trace the reverberation of the late Ottoman imperial paternalism, coupled with the essentialist vein of rising ethno-nationalism during the single party regime in 1930s. My work draws upon the extensive literature in the humanities and social sciences on the ethics and politics of hospitality. Grounded in its Kantian definition as the right of a stranger not to be treated as an enemy when he arrives in the land of another, philosophers and political theorists such as Seyla Ben Habib, Boni Honik, um, Julia Kristeva, Meida Yeenoğlu, turn to hospitality to elaborate the relationship between the national self and the immigrant other. Most famously Derrida, formulated unconditional, absolute, unlimited hospitality as a morality that goes beyond the law and the language of rights, as a willful submission to the possibility that one's realm of sovereignty can be violated by the other that one hosts. He imagined this openness to the other as the ethical stance that should guide contemporary European policies, 
towards non-European immigrants. In anthropology, hospitality has been central to the study of Mediterranean societies. Scholars such as Pitt Rivers and Hersfeld conceptualize hospitality as a key concept akin to the gift, which regulates relations of reciprocity and alliance in various cultures. Similar to practices of gift giving, anthropologists detail how performances of hospitality entrench relations of authority and deference between the hosts and their guests. Based on these observations, anthropologists have critiqued the use of guest metaphors to describe the relationship between nation states and immigrants, such as Candea and Dakol, um, De Bono, Rosaku. Some demonstrate how, in cultural culture-specific situations, hospitality enshrines the house as an ideal social form, consolidating domestic privilege, Andrew Shryock, for instance. Others, such as Deborah Battaglia, Rebecca Bryant, focus on the social effects of the ambivalence of host-guest relations, such as when ownership of space is disputed. Research on the Syrian refugees in Turkey likewise demonstrate the limits of hospitality as government policy, underlining the legal ambiguity of the guest status, both in terms of the duration of stay and access to resources. Power inequality that is endemic to host guest relations frames social policies towards um, Syrians on the basis of generosity rather than as entitlements. Hospitality framework also allows the Turkish state to evade international oversight as it exerts total control over Syrian refugees, maintaining centralized discretionary power over the terms of their stay and deportation. The specific form of economic and social precarity imposed upon the Syrians under this temporary regime sustains their exploitation in the informal labor intensive sectors of the market with impunity. Researchers who trace the rhetoric of hospitality at the everyday level demonstrate how it leads to social fragmentation along ethnic and class lines that build on and exacerbate ethno-nationalist sentiments and stereotypes, such as Altun Kainak, um, Estela Karpi, and Pnar Shenoz, Yükseker, especially in border regions where the designation of insider-outsider status is already mapped upon various groups of citizens based on their ethnic and religious identities. Tecil Datash has a great article on this, for instance. Diverging from this perspective, Hilal Altkan, in a freshly of the press um, uh, article, defines hospitality as a polyvalent signifier that establishes dynamic relationships, especially at the interpersonal level, which she argues can potentially turn strangers into relatable others. By deciphering the grammar of hospitality in the official rhetoric towards Syrian guests in Turkey, I aim to expand the discussion of the ethics and politics of hospitality in the anthropological literature by focusing on a specific rendering of hospitality that references Islamic morality. Scholars argue that compared to other major religious traditions, Islam articulates more explicit doctrinal tenets and joining movements, such as the duty of Hajj, the obligation of hijra, emigration to Muslim-ruled lands, as well as the recommendation of rihla, and travel for learning and other purposes, and ziyara, visit to shrines. These prescribed forms of Muslim travel often have the double effect of both broadening one's consciousness of the spiritual unity of the ummah and the unsettling experience of feeling different within a Muslim community. What is more, the notion of home always underlies travel. Travel cannot be separated from the anticipation of return to home, 
which can either be the place of departure or a new place of settlement. In addition to the obligation to travel, Islamic doctrine also articulates the duty to receive and protect Muslim travelers, especially in the case of Hijra, where Muslims leave Dar al-Kufr, non-Muslim lands, for the Dar al-Islam in, in order to distance themselves from evil and disbelief, the protection of Hajaru, who left their homes as an act of jihad, is defined as the duty of the Nasaru, fellow Muslims who help and take them in. In the late Ottoman and early Republican periods, muhajir was used to refer to permanent Muslim migrants, refugees who originated in the European areas of the empire and had as their destination the Ottoman provinces of Asia. Although in the Ottoman times, the muhajirin was distinguished from the mujavirin, who are the long-term pious residents of holy cities who came for pilgrimage and stayed afterwards for various reasons, the latter's liminal position still placed upon the Sultan a duty to protect. Um, the etymology of the term misafir, guest in Turkish, points to yet another condition of mobility, where the agent of sefer, long journey expedition, may be anyone traveling for a variety of reasons. In fact, musafir, musafir, means traveler, passenger in Arabic and Persian, and it is only in Turkish that the word is used to refer to a guest. The lack of specificity in the identity of the traveler and the motivation to travel feeds into the vagueness of the position of the misafir. As opposed to the muhajir, who is clearly marked as an arriver, misafir is designated as a passersby. Instead of the quality of being unfamiliar, unknown, uncanny, that is dominant in the hospitality literature, the qualities attributed to misafir emphasize the significance of mobility, directionality, and temporality in the configuration of the guest. Nevertheless, as in the case of mujavirin, temporary guests may become long-term residents, even permanent migrants, depending on the situation at hand. The calibration of which guests can successfully convert into residents or migrants is based on a variety of factors, including ethnic, racial, religious identities, material resources, and historical relationships. The responsibility of the hosts towards these different kinds of guests is also configured accordingly. The influx of Syrian refugees in Turkey followed the ruling um, AKP government's 2011 open door policy in response to the escalating conflict in Syria. Marking the end of an eight year rapprochement between Syria and Turkey, the policy indicated both Turkish government's support for regime change in Syria and the expectation that this change would not take long. The first group of refugees who arrived in Turkey in March were hastily referred to as guests by the government, a term that did not correspond to any formal legal administrative status. In November 2011, the Turkish government declared that Syrians were beneficiaries of a temporary protection regime, which was loosely based on a 2001 European Union Council directive on the regulation of mass influx of refugees. This regime nominally entailed unobstructed admission to Turkish territories for all Syrian nationals, no forcible returns to Syria, and accommodation and coverage of basic needs in the refugee camps. Nevertheless, refugee rights advocates severely criticized this arrangement on the grounds that it lacked any basis in Turkish domestic law, and as such was entirely at the government's discretion. Despite its precarious foundation, 
declaration of temporary protection led the UNHCR to suspend individual refugee status determination for any Syrians who can benefit from it in Turkey. In 2013, Turkey adopted the new law of foreigners as part of the ongoing bureaucratic reform process for EU harmonization. The law came into force in April 2014. According to the law, three groups of foreigners could benefit from international protection in Turkey, refugees, conditional refugees, and those who can benefit from subsidiary protection. In addition to these three groups, the law foresaw that the foreigners who have been forced to leave their country cannot return to the country that they have left and have arrived or crossed the borders of Turkey in a mass influx situation could be granted temporary protection. Details of the status were to be determined on an ad hoc basis by a government decree. On October 24, 2014, the government issued temporary protection regulation, which for the first time set the legal status of the Syrians unequivocally. Under the new regulation, Syrian refugees in Turkey are granted access to healthcare, education, social assistance, and translation services, at least on paper. They can apply to the Ministry of Labor and Social Security to obtain work permits. The regulation also enables local governments to provide aid to the refugees who reside outside of the camps, although it doesn't mandate them to do so. Although both the 2013 and 2014 regulations are generally received positively across the board, civil society organizations continue to critique the administration of both refugees and the Syrian population in Turkey. In addition to severe implementation problems, Critics maintain that the regulation's emphasis on the temporary nature of protection signals a persistence on the part of the government that the Syrians residing in Turkey are guests. I now turn to the cultural and political connotations of this particular concept. The use of the term guests in the field of migration man management did not begin with the arrival of Syrian refugees. In, in 1983, regulation, in the 1983 regulation, Places of detention for irregular migrants were called foreigners' guest houses, yabancılar misafirhanesi. These were places where people who entered the country illegally and without documents were held until their status was determined. Despite the notorious conditions of those detention houses, the term guest was affixed to them as a euphemism that downplays the violence that was going on inside. The name guest house also indicated that these were places to accommodate people whose legal status and geographical location were temporary. The specific temporality that is inherent to the host guest metaphors is precisely why many refugees rights activists criticize their use in refugee management, particularly as it pertains to the case of Syrian refugees. In order to further elaborate on the aspect of temporality that is inherent to the rhetoric of hospitality and its role in accelerating anti-Syrian sentiments, I turn to a series of promotional videos produced by the Turkish Natural Catastrophe Insurance Pool, DUSK, that advertised for compulsory earthquake insurance, Zorunlu Deprem Sigortası, which started airing on various TV channels in 2014, around the same time that violent public reactions against Syrian refugees began making it into the news. The videos all start with a written statement informing the viewers that the film was inspired by real experiences of earthquake victims, and they depict uncomfortable moments experienced by people who took refuge with friends or relatives after losing their houses in the earthquake. 
One video opens with a young woman in front of what appears to be an occupied bathroom, with folded towels pressed to her chest and a distressed look on her face. A middle-aged woman wearing a bathrobe and a hair towel opens the door and sees her. She says, my daughter, did you want to take a shower? Of course, come in. Use it as if it were your own bathroom. Do you need any towels? As she walks past, the young woman gets them. The camera zooms into the young woman's face in the mirror, her eyes crossed, closed, and her lips pressed in shame. Another video depicts a large group of people, adults and children, gathered in a living room in front of the TV. While the adults mainly occupy the couches, the children sit on the carpet or in the adults' laps. One of the children abruptly breaks into a rant, complaining that the TV is always turned on to the news channel. News, news, news, he whines. Doesn't anybody watch cartoons in this house? I want to go home. When can we go back? His parents rush to silence the boy. The hosts look at them with empathetic and sad faces. All videos end with a dramatic voiceover that says, lots of people whose houses were damaged in the earthquake were obliged to be guests to their friends and kin for a long period of time. If your house was damaged in the earthquake, to whom would you go as a guest? Depremde zarar, evi zarar gören pek çok insan yakınlarına uzun süre misafir olmak zorunda kaldı. Depremde eviniz zarar görürse siz kime misafir olacaksınız? This is followed by the campaign slogan, Get your compulsory earthquake insurance and break free from compulsory guesthood. Zorunlu deprem sigortanızı yaptırın, zorunlu misafirlikten kurtulun. Street interviews that accompany these videos further demonstrate that this association of compulsory guesthood with shame is publicly shared. When prompted with a question, interviewees appear troubled. Most of them reply, I have no idea where will we go. We would probably end up on the street. Public reaction against the Syrians that is traceable from social media posts, interviews, and online comments exhibit how the situation of Syrian refugees runs parallel to the compulsory guesthood depicted in the promotional videos for earthquake insurance. Similar to the earthquake victims who had to stay with their friends and family for a long period of time, Syrian refugees are also seen as having trans transgressed a key component of the social convention on hospitality by staying in their country for longer than expected. However, as opposed to the benevolent, understanding, generous host portrayed on the promotional videos, the outraged public blames the Syrians for disturbing communal order, threatening public security, driving down wages, inflating rents, and spreading disease. These are accompanied with pervasive rumors that the Syrians are given priority in public schools and hospitals, as well as receiving monthly income from the government in exchange for voting for the AKP and Erdogan in the elections. Anti-Syrian sentiments peaked following President Erdogan's address in Kilis in July 2016, announcing a prospective citizenship opportunity for some select Syrians. A widespread campaign was organized on social media with the hashtag, I don't want Syrians in my country. Which found participation across the political spectrum. A similar social media campaign with the same hashtag erupted again in early January 2019, following the circulation of the video of a group of young Syrian men dancing and chanting while waving the Syrian opposition flag during the 2018 New Year's Eve celebrations in Taksim Square. Although the Turkish hosts of the Syrian refugees appear to be less graceful and empathetic than the hosts portrayed in the earthquake insurance videos, attribution of responsibility and blame that underlie the anti-Syrian public outcry resemble the accusatory undertone of earthquake insurance videos. 
where the guests were ultimately held responsible for losing control of the duration of their stay. In the earthquake insurance videos, it was implied that compulsory guests were partly responsible for overstaying their welcome because they had not taken precaution by purchasing home insurance. In a similar vein, anti-Syrian statements blamed the Syrians for shirking their responsibility to fight for their country and embezzling Turkey's resources instead. Similar to the bad guests who do not know their boundaries defined by Shryok or the figure of the parasite as the hanger-on, the sycophant, and the perpetual dinner guest explained by Candea and Dacol, their prolonged compulsory guesthood had led the Syrians to be framed as irresponsible, immoral, and undeserving, rather than as desperate, oppressed, and worthy. The year 2019 ended up being quite tumultuous for the Syrian refugees in Turkey overall. With fast approaching local elections in March, where the AKP ended up losing several big cities, including Istanbul, both government policy towards Syrian refugees and the discourse of key state officials shifted considerably. In July 2019, Turkish authorities deported roughly 1,000 Syrian refugees and detained more than 5,000. The situation further deteriorated in February 2020 after Syrian government offensive against the Turkish forces in Idlib resulted in the death of 63 soldiers. To retaliate for the lack of EU support, Erdogan announced that Turkey would no longer prevent migrants from crossing into the EU. Thousands of refugees flocked to the border. Jarring images from Greece showed border control tear gassing the refugees, Coast Guard attacking refugees boats in the Mediterranean, and crowded, unsafe refugee holding centers. Observers commented that this marked the end of Turkey's policy of hospitality. Despite repatriation policies and periodic threats to let the refugees go, the government has also been employing integration policies geared towards the Syrian population in Turkey. Cohesion, Uyum, has in fact been formulated as an essential component of Göçidarisi since it was established in 2014. In July 2017, when I interviewed Selim, a well-educated, articulate young expert at the Harmonization and Communication Department, he took the time to describe cohesion in detail. And I quote, the new immigration system brought along a new terminology, he explained. When we talk about cohesion, we mean the reciprocal cohesion of immigrants, foreigners, refugees with the Turkish society, toplumla karşılıklı uyumlaştırmak. This does not mean the integration of foreigners. It also means to see them as a source of wealth for the Turkish society. When I asked him how cohesion stood in relation to hospitality, Selim firmly opposed the public uses of hospitality metaphors to curb anti-Syrian sentiment. And I guessed, and I quote, guest, ensari, muhajir, these concepts have a background and they are valued by the public, he maintained. Whereas here, we are carrying out an institutional operation. During this operation, there may be errors. As an expert and a bureaucrat, I would not want to cause these terms to become void. Bu kavramların içinin boşaltılmasına sebep olmak istemem. If as bureaucrats, we call the Syrians guests, then people will say, how come they didn't go back? Then you end up degenerating the concept of guesthood. Approximately one year after this interview, Göç İdarisi inaugurated its new social media campaign, Büyüksün Türkiye, Turkey Your Grand, and released a new promotional video with the same title, geared to illustrate the meaning of cohesion. The video is set in a historic Istanbul neighborhood bakery with the name Tarihi Bereket Fırını. 
and it features the interactions of owner and baker Irfan Bey with various immigrants who all seem to be residing in the neighborhood as they stop by the shop early in the morning on their way to various daily activities. The first person to enter the bakery is a Central Asian looking young woman who greets the baker with a, with a vivacious good morning Ifarabi in Turkish with an accent and asks for directions to Vatan Caddesi. Irfan Bey addresses the woman as Kızım and describes how to get there. As she leaves the shop, the young woman exclaims, thank you very much Irfan Abi, büyüksün. In the following one and a half minutes, we see a young black African man on his way to a soccer game, a white Euro-American young woman who appears to be an English teacher on her way to school, and a young brunette, presumably Syrian boy, who delivers Irfan Bey's morning coffee, all come into the shop one after another. Irfan Bey knows all of them personally and greets them with familial and effective terms like koçum, öğretmenim, evladım. The characters also greet him affectionately, calling him Irfan Papa, Mr. Irfan Bey, and Irfan Amca in return. Irfan Bey does little acts of kindness for all of these characters. He breaks the African soccer player's money, remembers to set aside fresh warm poacha for breakfast for the English teacher, and gifts the Syrian tea delivery boy a sweet aichure. All of them leave the shop thanking him and repeating the same phrase, you are grand. Of all the characters, the one that Irfan Bey interacts the longest with is the Syrian boy, who comes into the shop the last calling out, one medium sugar coffee coming up. As opposed to all the other immigrants who speak Turkish with heavy accents, he speaks perfect Turkish. Irfan Bey's face turns serious and he says, come here Izzettin, what happened with the school? Did you take care of registration? Izzettin replies with a big smile, we did Irfan Amca, I start next week. Aferin my child, says Irfan Bey cheering up. Don't you ever forget, our true mentor in life is Hayatta Enaki Kimurşit. Izzettin exclaims, science, ilimdir as he rushes to finish the famous saying that is attributed to Mustafa Kemal Atatürk, the founder of modern Turkey. The video ends with Irfan Bey looking dreamily on his shop wall that displays a collection of objects, including black and white pictures of what appears to be multiple generations of his family, sketches of iconic Istanbul sceneries, a calligraphic print of 13th century Sufi mystic and poet Mevlana Celaleddin Rumi, famous for the quote, come, come, whoever you are, a Turkish flag and an evil eye. A voiceover says, it's not just Dirfan Adi. In these lands, old people have grand hearts, warm hearts. This is the reason why we have been the meeting point of sharing, selfless benevolence, brotherhood, sisterhood for hundreds of years, and today of immigrants from 190 different nations. As Irfan Bey raises his arms towards the camera to gesture a big embrace, the voiceover concludes, this is why we are all Turkey. Just like Selim's description of the social cohesion policy, immigrants in the video are portrayed as well-integrated residents of the neighborhood and part of the community who speak Turkish, have jobs, form relationships, contribute to the society, and develop emotional attachments to it. What is peculiar about this video is that although official numbers report that more than 3.5 million of the 4 million foreigners in Turkey are Syrian, they are portrayed as part of a larger conglomeration of immigrants to de-emphasize their predominance. It seems like de-emphasizing and presenting them as part of a larger immigrant population makes them more acceptable by fitting them into a larger narrative. That said, 
The rep representation of Syrian refugees in the figure of a bright-eyed young boy without an accent or any other physically marked detectable ethno-racial differences who can quote Atatürk by heart and about to enter into the national education system to complete full societal incorporation, incorporation also sets them apart from all other immigrants by implying their likely permanence. Social cohesion was more tangibly operationalized with a 15-month initiative to promote inclusive migration management in Turkey launched in November 2020. Founded by the EU, sorry, funded by the EU and managed jointly by the International Organization for Migration and Yuchidaresi, Social Cohesion Initiative features a wide range of activities for facilitating the migrants' access to services and rights, building the capacity of Yolch Idaresi, provincial directorates and local authorities, and piloting innovative activities to promote social cohesion. As part of the initiative, Göçidaresi produced a special program for the International Migrants Day on December 18, 2020, which was live streamed on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter with English and Arabic subtitles. Organized around the theme, Turkey, the meeting point of cultures, Kültürlerin Buluşma Noktası Türkiye, the program is hosted by Paul Dwyer. This is Paul Dwyer. A musician originally from Scotland who immigrated to Turkey over 30 years ago. It includes musical performances where Dwyer is joined by immigrant musicians from Kosovo, India, and Azerbaijan. A brew painting demonstration accompanied by a nay performance, a Karagöz Hacivat show, a cooking demonstration for a Syrian recipe featuring the restaurant Multeji Mutfa, owned by Turkish and Syrian women in Istanbul, and messages from children and adult immigrants across the country celebrating International Migrants Day. The program also features some new promotional videos, such as an infographic film about Göçidaresi, as well as a short film aiming to dispel common misinformation about the rights and privileges that the Syrian refugees enjoy in Turkey. Unlike Selim's explanation of cohesion, as the opposite of hospitality, the language used in the program shows that the cohesion policy in fact mobilizes host-guest metaphors. For instance, in a segment where various immigrant photos are collaged into a map of Turkey, the voiceover says, this family grew up by opening its doors to guests. Every guest brought us wealth. Along the same lines, the infographic video on Göçidaresi asserts that one of the accomplishments of the office has been to expand the scope of opportunities provided to our guests. While the program portrays all immigrants as valuable parts of a larger mosaic of wealth and harmony, differences between different categories of migrants are nevertheless marked, primarily on the basis of their ethno-racial and religious identities. The same infographic video on Göçidaresi declares, and I quote, with the instructions of our president, Recep Tayyip Erdogan, we became the homeland for Ahuska Turks, who have been in exile for 74 years. We have brought 2,763 members of our kin, Soydashimus, in the conflict areas of Ukraine to their new homes, Yuvalarına. While Ahuska Turks are depicted as ethno-racial kin returning from exile to their true home, Syrians are referred to as, referred to as our siblings. Suriyeli kardeşlerimiz, to whom Turkey opened its doors in order to save them from persecution. As opposed to an ethno-racial responsibility towards the Ahuska Turks, 
The video describes the basis of Turkey's generosity towards the Syrians as the Islamic morality to love what was created because of the creator, yaradılanı yaradandan ötürü sevmek. Whereas Turkey is pronounced as the home of Alaska Turks, for our Syrian guests, it is depicted as the sibling country, kardeş vatan, to, home, to our homesick migrants and refugees. Close attention to the terminology used throughout the program reveals that while the word göçmen, yabancı, mülteci, and sığınmacı are used more vaguely, the words soydaş and kardeş are reserved for specific groups. Contrary to the level of ambiguity detectable in the use of those terms, soydaş and kardeş are used in very specific and intentional ways, in line with Turkey's ethno-racial and religious immigration system that charts naturalization as only available for those of Turkish descent and with affinities to Turkish culture. While this exclusive system only originally included groups such as Middle Eastern and post-Soviet Turkic populations and Muslim Turkish immigrants from the Balkans since Balkans, since 2018, Syrians appear as the only other group with the privilege to have a possible legal path towards, towards citizenship. However, unlike ethnic kin, whose basis of belonging is theoretically uncontested, the belonging of Syrian brothers and sisters who from the view of Ottoman late borrowed who from the view of late Ottoman borrowed colonialism were regarded as almost the same but not quite like are repeatedly put to, put to test the tests that the Syrian refugees have to endure to claim rightful existence in Turkey fall in line with the law of hospitality which proves once again how rather than surpassing the host guest metaphors in immigration management cohesion policies have seamlessly adopted them Social Cohesion Initiative combines management strategies for both the domestic perception of the immigrants and the international perception of Turkey as a host country. For the domestic audiences, similar to the trope of blessings used in the government's pro-natalist policies analyzed by Zeynep Korkman, immigrants, foreigners, are presented as generators of wealth and prosperity who bestow bereket, blessings, upon their general hosts. As we see in the case of Turkey You Are Grand video that is set in the historic Blessings Bakery, socially and economically well-integrated foreigners bring earnings and joy to the neighborhood. This framing counteracts the popular conviction that Syrian refugees drain public resources while stealing jobs and driving up rents, thereby causing a general impoverishment in the society. At a time when unemployment exceeded 12% of the population and the inflation rate caused a 6.7% decrease in per capita income, making it the lowest in the last 14 years, the rhetoric of blessings helped the helps the government to avoid addressing the real socioeconomic reasons behind the society-wide impoverishment, as well as rising racism and xenophobia that is rampant across the country. In addition to an increase in wealth, Openness to immigrants, foreigners, is also promoted on civilizational moral grounds, such as tolerance, compassion, and hospitality, presented as integral to Turkish traditions and culture. The main organizing theme of the International Migrants Day special program, Turkey, the Meeting Point of Cultures, describes the country as the melting pot of civilizations, farklı kültürlerin birleştiği topraklar, from time immemorial. While the portrayal of Turkey as the melting pot of civilizations is on the one hand geared to persuade domestic audiences to accept foreigners, immigrants, 
On the other hand, this messaging is directed to foreign audiences for the purposes of repositioning Turkey as the inheritor of a superior civilization and a regional power to be reckoned with. The speech that most explicitly contains this message is Minister of Interior Süleyman Soylu's ad opening address, which deserves to be quoted at length. And I quote, Sometimes I believe this world resembles a balance between two scales. One scale is the West, the other is the East. Actually, one wishes this balance to always stay balanced. Yet the West has always ascribed Label the regions of the world that, have, that they have seen afar like Africa, Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, Palestine, Uyghur, Xinjiang, all the way up to our country. They have shown contempt towards the civilization, knowledge, love, and even the color of the skin of people in this region. They have only liked its oil, minerals, and strategic position. That is why there is no balance amongst the two scales. That is why we are apprehending the citizens of African countries whose names we have not heard before, together with the people of Afghanistan, Iraq, and Syria on the same boats of migrants in the Aegean and saving their lives. Turkey has not just raised its voice vis-a-vis -vis this global drift, but has fulfilled the requirements of her civilization, morality she has inherited from her ancestors, her understanding of life, and her faith. While we are undertaking this, we are unifying Turkey and the Anatolian geography with its history, roots of its civilization and its future with the vision and the will exhibited by our president Recep Tayyip Erdogan. This comparative discourse positions Turkey in direct opposition to the West and asserts a moral civilizational superiority to support Turkey's claim to political power. Similar to the rhetoric of blessings, Asserting civilizational superiority enables the government to avoid criticism for its policy decisions, such as the 2015 Turkey-EU readmission agreement. Although by way of readmission, Turkey effectively helps EU countries skirt their obligations arising from international humanitarian law, the very same obligation solely accuses the West of avoiding, claiming moral upper hand allows Turkey to justify its dealings with the EU including its periodical threats to open its borders to let the refugees go, as a way of forcing its irresponsible, exploitative, immoral counterpart to pay for its current and past sins. Turkey's self-portrayal as a beacon of integrity and the protector of the oppressed also helps to whitewash its own imperial past, as well as its present neo-imperialist aspirations in North Africa and the Middle East. This portrayal of openness, diversity, generosity, tolerance, and compassion as the building blocks of Turkey's civilizational heritage is enforced by performances of love and gratitude by the immigrants. In the section where immigrants greet the viewers from all over the country, men, women, and children dressed in traditional attire pose in front of local landmarks to pay tribute to their generous host. Ikivarsın Türkiye. Çok özelsin, çok güzelsin. Seni sevmemek mümkün mü? Türkiye'de yaşadığım için çok mutluyum. In the same messages, Turkey is described as a piece of heaven, a love in the hearts, the love of millions, and the love of the oppressed, whose bridge of hearts is unlimited, that takes the one who fell into the fire under its wings. These praises and performances of gratitude, recited by foreigners, immigrants who presumably have been saved by Turkey, are the way in which they reciprocate their hosts big-heartedness. As Pitt Rivers explains, 
Reciprocity lies at the heart of the law of hospitality, where today's guests are expected to play the role of the patron in the future. When reciprocity as such is not available, when the guests lose their home, as in cases of compulsory guesthood, the only other way they can reciprocate is by way of helping build the reputation of their hosts. The law of hospitality strictly distinguishes the honorable poor man who in better times would be prepared to reciprocate hospitality at his own home from the professional beggar who invokes charity in the name of God. As opposed to the shameless beggar, the ashamed compulsory guest still possesses the capacity to pay back his host by functioning as a reliable witness from the outside for the community's reputation. In such cases, although the host may not secure a future right to patronage, extended hospitality nevertheless becomes an opportunity to gain honor. Therefore, contrary to the beggar who is seen as a nuisance and a threat, the unfortunate honorable man, poor man, still elicits respect. For Syrian refugees in Turkey, respectability is granted neither automatically nor uniformly. Specifically, the two excessive figures of the professional beggar and the uncouth tourist loom large in public imagination to deny the Syrian population respectability. Stories of Syrian child beggar rings, Syrians who go back and forth between Syria and Turkey at will to visit their relatives, as well as urban centers and seashores that are overcrowded by Syrians are frequently featured in the media to question their legitimacy as refugees. In response, Syrian refugees develop a variety of strategies to, main, to manage their encounters with the general Turkish public, the government offices, and service providers in order to avoid humiliation, discrimination, and conflict. Both in the promotional material produced by migration management agencies and in the media, testimonies of gratitude, a knowledge of one's place, limits, in the host society are employed as tools to quell the general anti-Syrian sentiment. Nevertheless, the success of these testimonies appears highly dependent on the place of the performer within the hierarchical ethno-racial religious order of belonging in Turkey. A video featuring a street interview with Syrian Turkmen refugee Muhammad, conducted at the time of the sweeping operations in Istanbul in the summer of 2019, which aired on the alternative YouTube channel Yurtash TV, illustrates the parameters of success. Answering the journalist's questions about his experience in Turkey and the situation in back in Syria, Mohammed strikes a sad, thoughtful, and gracious tone. He explains that people uproot their lives and seek refuge out of necessity, that there is no life security back home, and that he himself lost his 17-year-old son in the war. He prays for the situation to improve so that he and his family can go back home. When asked specifically about the growing anti-Syrian attitude in the government and the society, Mohammed responds, as guests, we cannot say anything. This is their country. We pretend we don't hear some of the things said. At the end of the day, you're a guest. God bless our Turkish brothers and sisters and the Turkish state. They do not separate Turks, Kurds, Arabs. They take care of them all. While Mohammed speaks as the perfect grateful guest who knows and accepts his limits, he nevertheless adds, in fact, our elders tell us that people from Urfa, Halep, and Iraq have all fought together in Chanakkale for this country, that our great-grandfathers were conscripted and never came back. 
This widely circulated interview with Muhammad got overwhelmingly positive response from viewers who found Muhammad edepli, efendi, ele ayağı düzgün, samimi, cana yakın, and mütevazi. In line with Pitt Rivers' description, depiction of guest status as one with no rights and is strictly separated from that of the community members who can assert themselves, make demands and criticisms, and interfere in the social and political system, Muhammad's performance of guesthood was regarded as a complete success. Nevertheless, the viewers also agreed that Muhammad did not accurately represent the Syrians in Turkey because he was a Turkman. One commentator wrote, This is the homeland of the Turkomans. They can't be called guests or refugees. Another agreed, when we say we don't want Syrians, we, mo- we mean we don't, w- we don't want vile Arabs and Kurds. İtlik yapan Arap ve Kürtleri istemiyoruz. We don't have anything against our Turkoman brother. Turkomans are not guests. They are the children of this land. I wish all of them came here and we exchange them with the other good-for-nothings. Even though commentators argue that his ethnicity absolves Muhammad from the restrictions of being a guest, paradoxically, it is his perfect performance of guesthood that earns him the recognition of his Turkmen identity. Although Muhammad explicitly states that as a Turkmen, what he went through in Syria was no different from our Arab brothers, and that Ottoman subjects of all ethnicities in Iraq and Syria were deployed in the fight with allied powers in World War I, The overwhelming majority of 549 commentators to the video assert that Muhammad and other Turkomans should be kept aside due to their ethno-racial identity. These comments also clearly show that an anti-Arab and anti-Kurd racism is the actual basis of anti-Syrian reactions in the country. In the society-wide anti-Syrian sentiments, as well as the rhetoric of hospitality that is employed by the government circles to offset those, one can trace the reverberation of late Ottoman imperial paternalism, coupled with the essentialist vein of rising ethno-nationalism during the single-party regime in 1930s. In his seminal work on fascism and nationalism in Turkey, Tanıl Bora quotes politician Burhan Belge's article that appeared in the left-wing journal Kadro in 1933, where Belge reprimands the Jewish minority for not assimilating into the Turkish society, and I quote, in order to be as hospitable as the Turks, one has to have been a master nation throughout the history like the Turks. Nevertheless, doesn't the end of every guest would require either to blend into the household or not to prolong the visit? This period of rising xenophobia, anti-Semitism, and Turkism paradoxically corresponded to the time when the Young Republic recruited a number of persecuted European Jewish scholars to work in Turkish universities in order to support the country's modernization reforms. Despite the deliberately maintained precarity of both European Jewish scholars and the Jews of Turkey, this history of hospitality was rediscovered in the early 2000s and deployed as the proof of the long-standing tradition of tolerance, coexistence, and multiculturalism, both to counteract accusations regarding the Armenian genocide and to advance Turkey's bid for EU membership. Contrary to this redeployment, historian Rifat Bali shows how the perpetual guest status assigned to the Jewish population since Sephardic Jews took refuge in the Ottoman Empire in the 15th century obliges the Jews in Turkey to repeatedly declare indebtedness and gratitude 
to prove their loyalty, even to this day. Although the social status of Muslim Syrian refugees is categorically different than that of Jews as guests residing in a Muslim world, anti-Arab racism feeds from the same ethno-nationalist trope of betrayal, suspicion, and racial superiority. Arabs, along with Kurds, are coded as traitors who made alliance with the enemy and served as proxies to defeat the Ottoman Empire in World War I. Therefore, similar to the Jews, Syrian guests in Turkey are, expectedly, ex are expected to repeatedly perform their gratitude in order to prove their credibility, oftentimes to no avail. Turkey's protection, openness, and tolerance towards Syrian refugees that is portrayed as an essential component of its civilizational and religious identity also resembles the 19th century Ottoman civilizing mission towards Arab and Kurdish tribal people, as described by Selim Deringil and Osama Makdisi, where a long tradition of imperial paternalism gave way to genteel racism. Similar to the idea of the West invoked in Suleyman Soylu's speech, Anxieties over the encroachment of Western imperialism during the Hamidian era have paved the way for implementing colonialist and protectionist practices towards the Muslim Ummah, where claiming custodianship became a way to ward off what were seen as illegitimate interventions to expand the extraterritorial jurisdiction of Western colonial powers. Akin to this protectionist discourse, the rhetoric employed in the field of refugee management in Turkey today presents hospitality as a civilizational and religious morality that exceeds legalistic arrangements. Nevertheless, as we learn from scholars like Usama Maktisi, Selim Deringil, and Begüm Adalet, attitudes and values such as tolerance and hospitality that are claimed to be long-standing traditions are in fact historical projects geared to sustain government's claim to civilizational aptitude and political power. In addition to its governmental uses, societal connotations of guesthood also reveal that rather than assigning the guest a privileged status that obliges the host to offer only the best, Turkish hospitality is in fact laden with power imbalances, discrimination, feelings of superiority and shame, assessment of responsibility, as well as moral evaluations of worth and senses of guilt. I'm gonna stop here and I thank you for all of your engagement and questions in advance. Thank you. <laughs>